Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Promos, Head of Institutional Content and Investment Magazine, and this is Market Narratives. This show is a series of unorthodox conversations with thought leaders influencing the world of fiduciary investors. For more related insights and analysis, please remember to check out our website, investmentmagazine.com.au, and subscribe for a free email. And with that, please enjoy this week's episode. My guest today is Urs Ramzayer, who's the Chief Executive and Chief Investment Officer at 12 Capital. Urs, uh, welcome. Yeah, thank you. We've looked at this series um, over the last uh, couple of podcasts about sort of the impacts and effects of COVID-19 more broadly on financial assets um, and how it's changing the economy. But today I thought, given your background as an investor in insurance and reinsurance, what impact you've been seeing on those particular areas? Yes, uh, sure. So if you look at the impact on the um, insurance uh, sector, we have to um, make a differentiate between uh, what we call the asset side uh, of an insurance balance sheet. So the, the insurance companies as investors in, in the financial markets and then uh, the liability side, the right side of the balance sheet. So what type of claims could uh, come up uh, uh, based or due to the uh, COVID-19 crisis? Uh, let me start with, with the um, underlying insurance business, so uh, with potential uh, claims. And here, again, we have to differentiate between life insurance and, and non-life insurance. On the life insurance, obviously, it's about mortality. So will there be any big claims um, for people uh, basically dying uh, due to the, the, the COVID-19 with this regard, uh, from investor point of view, we, we're quite relaxed uh, because um, typically uh, the people insured for mortality are in the age between 40 and 60 years old. And this is not the population most affected by COVID-19. The, the population affected is above 65 uh, and uh, that, um, uh, that part of, of the population is typically not insured um, for mortality. So here we do not expect big claims uh, for the insurance industry uh, on the life side. On the non-life side, it looks um, slightly uh, different, um, uh, and um, the most the most uh, exposed business lines here are commercial insurance, uh, and within that, it's uh, what we call business interruption. So basically, insurance um, companies are buying if they have to uh, close down uh, the business for various reasons. But typically, this is property insurance, so property damage. Um, now, um, what, what is the base assumption of the insurance industry is that pandemic is not included in, in business interruption in many policies. It's excluded. So then I think there are no claims coming uh, to the uh, industry. But there is a whole category of policies out there which do not really include or exclude them um, specifically this uh, pandemic in the business interruption contracts. And uh, this opens doors for uh, potential claims uh, to the industry. Uh, and here we have to uh, assume that, um, that there will be, uh, I would say, significant uh, payouts uh, for, from the insurance industry uh, for these business interruption claims. So our estimate is something between 20 and 40 billion US dollar globally, uh, primary insurance and reinsurance uh, for business interruption due to pandemic, uh, due to COVID-19 pandemic event. And then lastly, there is also in uh, commercial insurances um, is event cancellations, Olympic games and others. This is a category of uh, contract where the client um, explicitly bought pandemic coverage and is now compensated. 
uh, for it uh, if the event um, is uh, is cancelled. So the Olympic Games in Tokyo is a good example of that, which is known to have bought such coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's uh, that's the, the non-life, um, uh, that's the uh, liability side of the balance sheet. On, on the asset side of the balance sheet, obviously insurance companies are, are large investors in financial markets. Uh, it will depend um, where uh, equity prices and, and bond prices uh, will end up or, or will develop over the next few months. But what we can say is typically insurance companies are invested in uh, investment grade or, or treasury bonds, uh, real estate, um, to a lesser degree, high yield uh, and equity, simply because high yield and equity uh, has much higher capital requirements, especially in Europe uh, after the introduction of, of the regulatory framework called uh, Solvency uh, two. So they're less exposed to those asset classes. So we would assume that um, that the uh, investment portfolios of insurance companies are, are more on the higher quality end um, of um, of the spectrum and, and losses uh, are not as significant as uh, it might be for uh, for other investors having said that uh, obviously uh, there will be a, a significant impact uh, in total to the industry on on, on the investment uh, portfolios so all in all it's it's a it's a big event uh, for the insurance industry on both sides on the investment side and, and uh, the liability side but it's digestible um, uh, if we put the business interruption now, uh, only 20 to 40 billion uh, into context of uh, natural catastrophes, that's a mid-sized hurricane. Um, on top of that, we have then the event cancellation and, and some smaller businesses, uh, and then and then obviously the, the asset side. But it's digestible. It will be a large degree an earning event, not a capital event. Uh, and um, and from that point of view, um, it's, uh, it's not... Uh, fundamentally um, something where, where the industry uh, should should be worried. There are also business lines which profit from the situation, from the lockdown, um, mostly uh, motor insurance because people drive less, less accidents, the premium are, premiums are paid. So certainly uh, motor insurance um, will have uh, very good uh, profits this year uh, in, uh, in countries uh, where, where there is a lockdown which compensates to a certain degree for losses on, on the commercial business and the commercial uh, business lines. Mm-hmm. So it's still too early to, to come up with, with a final number, but where we have some confidence is it's, uh, it, it's not a, a life-threatening um, event uh, for, for the industry as a whole. What is also unclear is how much of the losses uh, will be with primary insurance and how much is reinsured. Uh, so uh, here is, is quite a, a big uncertainty. We would assume that uh, it's more in the primary insurance compared to a, a large natural t- catastrophe uh, rather than in, in the reinsurance segment, but that um, that is uh, highly uncertain also for the uh, companies themselves. So you've given a, a really big, broad background of, of, of areas that we can dig into here. Let's maybe um, start off with some of the policies to, to kick off. You know, historically, pandemic wasn't uh, very common in 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 human health insurance. You mentioned, yeah. but but in terms of commercial, it was it was uh, included as part of business interruption. So that's yeah. that's what's happened. Is it still too early to tell in terms of the impact that that has come from from uh, COVID nineteen and 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 its impact to business? 
Yes, it's by far too early because, um, as, 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 um, I mean, uh, the big uncertainty is around policies which we call so-called silent, so which do not include or exclude pandemic in the business interruption contract, and there is some legal uncertainty around that. Um, and, and there are uh, there is a big uh, range of, of policies out there in different countries, even generation of policies. I, I even think that insurance companies themselves do not know what exactly the, the exposure is. What we also see in some countries now is um, that insurance companies uh, start to, to settle uh, themselves these claims. So they say, look, regardless of, of the language in the policy, we offer you, I don't know, 50 or 60 or 70 percent of the insured sum. Um, and, and then, uh, and then uh, the, the whole claim is, um, is settled. So we see this uh, increasingly happening in, in certain uh, in certain jurisdiction. Whether this is then also covered by reinsurance, that's uncertain again, uh, or whether this is uh, is something that the primary insurance companies will pay. So it's really uncertain. As I said, the, the consensus estimate for business interruption is 20 to 40 billion industry loss. I think mm-hmm. in that range, uh, we're comfortable. Let's let's then take it to to balance sheets and how they're affected. You know, you said that that at the moment the you know the primary and reinsurers can handle that sort of piece, but then if you look at their asset side and and what they've got to invest in from the investment grade, treasury, corporate bonds, high yield, and equity, you know these these seem to be all very you know challenged areas to to find returns. You know, is yeah. is the business of insurance really getting a lot harder for them in terms of trying to to manage the asset and liability mix? I mean, first of all, it's uh, it's about um, it's about assessing the impact of the of the last uh, six uh, six to um, eight weeks uh, on 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 their um, investment portfolios, as any investor does, right? Also, the uh, larger uh, pension funds. So, and then going forward, yes, where do they invest? Um, and they will stay within the asset classes uh, that they have done in the past, just simply because of a capital requirement. Uh, for these different asset classes, so it will be investment grade. It, it, it's treasury. Uh, it's to a certain uh, degree real estate. They will not go into high yield or um, or, or, uh, or not increase significantly their equity allocation because the capital requirement is, is simply uh, too high. Uh, but uh, given that it's uh, challenging, uh, fully agree, and uh, that means that uh, the insurance companies will focus even more going forward on underwriting profits. So operate operational profit on, on their core uh, insurance uh, business so that's that's clearly the focus they will have they have to make the money uh, from from the insurance business and not from the investment portfolios so so it's about increasing premiums ultimately yes yes mm-hmm. yes yes so premiums will will uh, that's for sure premiums will go up across the board in primary and reinsurance it was it starts already in reinsurance significant premium increases um, so, uh, so, so uh, that's something w- which is already happening as we speak. Premiums are pushed up uh, by significant amounts. Mm-hmm. Are you expecting any changes from a regulatory standpoint? As you know, the uh, you know, regulators around the world start to think about the need for capital for for insurance companies. Is that is that likely to change? Yes, uh, certainly uh, for pandemic. Um, but however, pandemic has always been looked very closely by regulator, and typically pandemic is reinsured, right? Mm-hmm. So primary insurance companies uh, by pandemic cover f- from the large uh, reinsurance companies. 
um, for uh, the, the, the really uh, big, uh, big mortality events typically. Um, so they will look much closer in, in, into pandemic risks and ask the insurance industry and companies to do scenario testing, uh, even for a second wave of COVID-19 for, for other viruses uh, further down the road, the impact on the different business lines. So that's something which will be obviously on top of the agenda by regulators. Mm-hmm. Let's um, think more specifically to, to sort of cap bonds. Um, and they've, they've been obviously... Uh, they've been they've been in the interests of of pension funds locally in Australia, but they seem to sort of wane with with interest. They sort of go with cycles. When these sorts of events happen, there's a lot of interest and people get excited and think about an opportunity. Then it seems to sort of you know uh, sort of dreary out a little bit, and then it comes back. You know why why do you feel that that's that's the case? Is it is it a matter of pricing and and returns and they're sort of coming in and out and and people then look at it after a you know one of these big events? Yeah, I mean, uh, cat bonds are to a large degree exposed to, um, to to natural catastrophes, and within that segment, the U.S. hurricanes and California earthquake, and a few others. So that's uh, where, where cat bonds are exposed, and and uh, where where people uh, investors get a, a coup or a, or, a, or a premium for it, right? And and the the big um, advantage and traction of cat bonds is they're uncorrelated to to financial markets. Now, um, what, what we can say is that cap bonds are not affected by COVID-19. There is no impact. There was a pandemic bond out there, but it's rather small, and many portfolios did not have that one. Business interruption is not an issue for cap bonds. Um, and, uh, and spreads and yields have gone up uh, significantly over the last uh, six, 12 months already, and, and just uh, go further up now in the current situation. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so what it shows now, the, um, the the volatility in financial markets uh, basically increased the demand for something which is uncorrelated, uh, which diversifies the portfolio. So we see big uh, big um, interest, increased interest in cat bonds. Uh, people think and um, believe uh, that volatility will stay there for quite uh, some time. And uh, to have uh, an allocation to an asset class which is not uh, correlated and, and the performance of cat bonds portfolios of the index year-to-date is positive or flat to positive. So that demonstrates that um, uh, that this asset class is, is not correlated to, to other uh, to other investments. So um, uh, the demand for cat bonds uh, is is going up. Now with the uh, premium increases in, in the underlying insurance and reinsurance, uh, the cat bond spreads uh, continue to go up as well. So the yields are better than two months ago, three months ago, six months ago for the same risk. Uh, and um, and uh, as I said, um, investors are increasingly looking at this asset class again. It's interesting you, you mentioned that it, because one of the the big issues, particularly in Australia, is around climate risk and the and yep. the impact of climate risk. And uh, you you read the market uh, news and the narrative that's out there is that the you know, climate events are getting you know more and more uh, frequent and and the impact is getting larger as well. I guess one of the the probably common questions you receive is, you know, am I going to be more and more exposed if I go into cap bonds given, you know, what I'm reading about climate risk that, that's coming? How, how do you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, the, the cap bonds are uh, the two the two main um, exposures of cap bonds is, is California earthquake, which obviously is not, um, has, has no impact from, from climate change due to the earthquake risks. And then the other one is... Uh, is East Coast uh, hurricanes and typical Atlantic uh, hurricanes, um, and, and here obviously there there is an impact uh, by climate change. So, 
what we have to expect is uh, more frequent and also more severe hurricanes. Uh, whether there are more landfalls, then, however, is, um, is still not clear. Um, what we observe is that the number of hurricanes do not make landfall, they, 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 they turn on the Atlantic. So, so there are different scenarios whether this really um, leads to uh, more insured damage on, for uh, U.S. hurricanes uh, at the East Coast. Uh, having said that, um, given that um, we observed a significant um, uh, premium increase in the markets so already before COVID-19, uh, roughly 2.5% higher spreads in cat bonds than 12 months ago, and now uh, the next three to four months it will go up even further uh, for the same risk. Uh, I would argue that um, that uh, the the the, the, pri uh, the premium we get uh, largely uh, takes any uncertainty of um, of the climate uh, change impact on, on on U.S. hurricanes into consideration into account. So I think investors get very well compensated for um, for the risk uh, they take. Mm -hmm. Is it a pretty broad universe in terms of the bonds that are, that are out there? You know, in particular, like different areas, different geographies. You know, how segmented are they? Yeah, it's uh, heavily focused to California quake and, and U.S. hurricanes. That makes about 60 to 70 percent. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, and then there is uh, Japanese typhoon, Japanese quake and, and a few others. Uh, but clearly what we call these peak risks, so that's the highest concentration of insured values in an exposed zone globally, uh, are, are the best paying perils. So, so they have much better risk returns than, uh, than let's say, Australian wildfire or Australian risks because these are diversifying type of risks. Um, so uh, it's, um, I would say it's rather concentrated, which has advantages and disadvantages. Um, but um, within uh, US wind, uh, there is a certain diversification from, from Gulf of Mexico, even up the East Coast uh, to New York. And, and these, these, these are the is the concentration of, of, of the cat bond segment. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you guys look at uh, insurance bonds. What, yep. What's the underlying um, assets that, that, that are part of that? You know, how, how are they, they split? I mean, insurance bonds are bonds issued for, um, uh, to raise regulatory capital by insurance companies. Mm -hmm. So, so the, the, the QBEs and the, the Allianz and DAXAs and, and the AIG of this world, uh, they uh, issue these bonds um, to um, to increase their solvency capital as an alternative to equity, uh, where the regulators uh, encourage them to do so. Uh, and there are different levels. There is tier one, tier two, tier three type of bonds. Uh, but clearly, um, what is all about? It's um, it's about solvency, and and um, and the risk to lose money in an insurance bonds is is only when the solvency uh, ratios uh, fall below a certain level. Uh, the solvency ratios of the insurance industry is very solid. Has in, in Europe, give you an indication, fallen uh, from two hundred percent to roughly one hundred ninety percent during the COVID nineteen crisis, taking investment losses and uh, insured losses into consideration. So the industry is very well capitalized. So there is no risk in my view of default or or uh, or, uh, or a difficult point deferral in, in insurance bonds and the yields in, um, in, in this investment grade and investment grade strategy are, are probably the best across all sectors. So very attractive yields, very small uh, coupon deferral or default risk. So we, we consider insurance bonds in the current environment as very attractive within investment grade. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you look at insurance stocks as well. So I'm curious in terms of the trade-off as you compare those two uh, options in the capital stack, how do you make that comparison? 
And what what are you looking for? Yeah, in insurance bonds, you have to be more selective than in in the bonds. Uh, as we said, there are some companies which will be. Uh, largely affected by the COVID-19 and the others that they're more or less unaffected depending on, on the lines of business um, they're writing. Um, the sell-off in insurance stocks has been more or less the same across the uh, across the sector. Uh, and I think if you if you choose and select well insurance stocks now, then, then you can make out a lot of money because some stocks are trading at less than 50%. That's where, where they traded uh, mid-February. So there is um, there is significant upside in in some of these uh, insurance stocks, especially also um, if you think about the significant premium increases we already see on the businesses. Insurance bonds, uh, it's more a sector call. I mean, uh, I do not see any any uh, risk of default of any of these companies out there. Uh, so basically, uh, do do you think insurance uh, bonds are attractively priced versus the risk or versus other sectors? And then it makes sense to to invest into a broadly diversified uh, portfolio of insurance bonds. Typically, what people do is they compare insurance bonds to to banking bonds, uh, and we believe that insurance bonds at the moment are, are more attractive than banking bonds in terms of yield, but also uh, in terms of uh, lower risk. Mm-hmm. And are there quite distinct um, differences between the risk, you know, the spreads on on these bonds across you know around the world? Now the spreads are about the same uh, around the world, US, Europe, and, and even even uh, even Australia on, on the same. If if on a comparable uh, rating rating level, it, it's more than uh, the currencies and, and uh, what the cost of currency hedge into your uh, into your home currency. But the spreads are about um, they're about the same. Mm-hmm. And in and in terms of in terms of um, your your remit of of areas that you look at. You know, is is there a portfolio that you create more broadly across these sectors, or is it more looking at each individual sector um, uniquely? Now we look at uh, each uh, individual uh, sector, obviously, and and manage portfolios uh, for each single strategies. But then we have also portfolios which look uh, at the asset classes um, across uh, across the the board, so equity bonds, uh, um, cat bonds, and so on. Um, where um, where we uh, where we pick also the the best uh, relatively priced uh, securities uh, that that's uh, that's um, that's something uh, we also do uh, and and as I said um, we see this big upside in some of the stocks uh, insurance bonds in general we look at attractive and and cat bonds have just become very attractive now with with recent uh, spread widenings mm-hmm. and when you talk to investors uh, from from Australia for example. You know, how do they think about um, you know, allocating? Because you know, if you think about the Australian market, a lot of the the challenge is where the different investments sit. You know, which bucket do they yeah. sit? Do they sit yeah, in fixed yeah. income and equities? You know, where where do catastrophe bonds, for example, sit you know, versus insurance bonds, insurance stocks? Yeah, catastrophe sh- bonds typically are considered as alternatives, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, in the alternative al- allocation, and and um, uh, the, one of the main benefits is is the the uncorrelated nature. Of, of cat bonds truly uncorrelated and, and that uh, has proven to be so and it is, is obviously a big benefit in in, in times like the last uh, six uh, to, to eight weeks something which, which has positive performance during such a crisis um, then uh, insurance bonds it's within fixed income it, it's uh, it's an allocation uh, in corporate bonds uh, investment grade uh, a sector allocation but um, but uh, it's uh, it's a fixed income 
corporate bond. And then equity, obviously, is in inequity. The, the multi-asset class portfolios tend to be also an alternative. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we, we didn't touch on in terms of um, the current economic crisis, in terms of the population um, being you know, under pressure and potentially not paying insurance, you know, does, is the industry also going to be at risk because of this, this current pandemic? No, I think uh, it's rather um, it's rather uh, an opportunity um, for the industry. I mean, the, this industry um, that's why the industry is there, right? To uh, to cover uh, these kind of risks for the policyholders. But I think it's an opportunity. Very few people, uh, for example, bought uh, pandemic coverage in the past. Uh, it was not considered as a major risk by by many companies. And now uh, it is. So uh, I think this will this will be a fast growing business line, uh, and the insurance companies will make sure that they they get the, the right premium for it and price for it. So that this is uh, certainly a gro- an area of growth. Then the other area of growth is, as we already mentioned, is climate change. I mean, um, climate change uh, will happen, and uh, uh, and uh, people companies um, think about how they can uh, mitigate that risk. And here, the insurance comp- the insurance industry is there to um, assess these risks and to price it. Price it. So uh, I think these two, what we can call maybe type of mega trends, will lead to a situation that um, the the industry as a whole will will grow over the next five to ten years. Mm-hmm. Is there any other innovation that you're seeing in in the insurance industry for for sort of dealing with these risks? And and you, you mentioned the new developments in the industry. Is yes, it- I mean there is a lot of innovation on the uh, risk assessing modeling side of things. Uh, um, they're typically based on um, on machine learning tools, big data tools in terms of climate change, uh, meteorological impacts, and so on. So, so the um, the models we use to to price um, natural catastrophe risk are much better developed than five or ten years ago, based on these new technologies and new new data which is available. So that's uh, that's one thing. Then also the role financial investors play in the industry with cat bonds or insurance linked securities. Uh, that segment will will also grow. So so um, there will be uh, more and more of these risks uh, basically going directly to to uh, financial investors that not remain within uh, the insurance balance sheet. So there is a much will be a much better split mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, diversification of risks within within the owners and ultimate owners of the risk. So there is a, a lot of innovation going on, and then ultimately uh, there is a large part of, of the global population which does not have access to um, to insurance coverage simply because they, they, they cannot afford it in emerging markets. So there's a lot of um, innovation going on. Also, how how can um, how can we um, give uh, these people uh, protection against climate change, but also our pandemic mm-hmm. type of, of events um, in terms of um, resilience and uh, and risk mitigation. And here again, uh, the insurance industry, but also financial investors, are at the forefront of the development. One one last uh, area that we haven't looked at, which is liquidity. Um, and the ability, obviously, to trade some of these bonds. What what does that look like? I mean, in cat bonds, cat bonds have been pretty liquid over the last two 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 months. So there was no liquidity crunch in, in cat bonds. Uh, maybe there is some market to market movement, but that's very small. Insurance bonds as well. In mid March, we we saw a bit of uh, selling pressure, but that was just a few days, and then uh, and then uh, it was. Um, was basically uh, over and equity. We did not see any 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 liquidity um, 
issues. I think it's also due to the um, fast and uh, very um, big uh, reaction by, by the central banks, uh, especially buying um, buying investment grade bonds, corporate bonds, uh, providing sufficient liquidity to the markets. But we did not see any any liquidity crunch last two months in our in our segments. Thank you very much for your time, Urs. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for joining us. All views expressed on this podcast are subject to change and do not necessarily reflect the views of Connexus Financial. This podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice.